Gary Renard Podcast, Episode 23. Welcome to the Gary Renard Podcast, your personal connection to Gary Renard, best-selling author of The Disappearance of the Universe, Your Immortal Reality, and the third book, Love Has Forgotten No One, which will be released in the spring of 2009. I'm Gene Bogart, podcast producer and Gary's co-host. And the man is with us, the man himself, the star of our show, it's Gary Renard. Hey, buddy, what's up? Yeah, I like the way you say that. I really do. Well, I try. I try. We're just saying, you know, I, I actually, I don't have that written down in front of me, and I always start each show with the fear that I'll screw it up somehow. But... I mean, after all this experience that you've had, you still get nervous. You'd, you'd think I would have it down by now. It's a, And, you know, if I don't think about it, I'm fine. But then I start to think, oh, God, what are those first words? And then I, I mess it up. And you know what? We have something else to share with our devoted podcast listeners. This is our Thanksgiving show. That's right. Now, in the honesty of full disclosure, I do want to say that we're actually recording this just a couple of days past Thanksgiving, and it'll be released a couple of days after this. So uh, anyway, but we were, we were talking over Thanksgiving, and we decided we wanted to make this kind of a Thanksgiving theme show to some extent anyway. We want to just give thanks to all the people who who listen in so regularly to these wonderful podcasts. You know, Gene, I was going to pretend that it was still, you know, Thanksgiving Day, and I was going to lie about it. But, mm-hmm. you know, since you decided to, you know, tell the truth, I'll go along with you. Okay, and that also saves you a load of unconscious guilt for you now to carry. That's right. You're right. No, yeah, I, I wouldn't feel uh, guilty about it. It's the spirit of Thanksgiving that matters. It's not the actual day. That's true. It matters. In fact, uh, you could say that that attitude of gratitude, if you will, kind of carries forward all the way through Christmas. Right into the first of the year, and then, of course, January 2nd, January 3rd, everybody hates each other again, <laughs> and, you know, you know, the year starts over with, with new malice. Right, but, a year of new malice toward all. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, at least you get that few weeks there, you know, where people pretend to love each other, and I, I think that uh, you know, it's a really cool thing. If you're going to pretend something, make it a good one. Yeah, now, of course, you can get to the point where you actually do love everybody all year, uh, but I really think that takes spiritual uh, discipline. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, some people, uh, they just have certain days of the year where they want to act a certain way. It's like uh, there was this song once, I think I think it was uh, Tom Wolfe, I, I forget his exact name. It was called National Brotherhood Week. <laughs> and he was singing about how, uh, you know, the Catholics hate the Protestants and the Protestants hate the Muslims and the Muslims hate, you know, then he says everybody hates the Jews. <laughs> and then, you know, it's like uh, he, he does this uh, really funny song about that. And then he says, it's National Brotherhood Week. Be thankful it don't last all year. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's like, it's true in a way, because, uh, you know, people, they have certain times, you know, everybody drives carefully on Christmas morning. Right. You know, because they don't want to get in an accident and screw up Christmas. <laughs> you know, so it's like, uh, what if they were that way all year? Yeah. You know, I mean, what if what if every day was Christmas? You know, I, I really think that that's the way that you can get to with, um, you know, Course in Miracles. It's like uh, every day can be Thanksgiving because you have that gratitude uh, to God, and gratitude is a great place mm-hmm. to be coming from because it puts you in such a good frame of mind. You know, it's like uh, it even puts you in a position to receive. You know, if, if you're coming from a place of gratitude, it's like you already have everything. Uh, it's like the Course says, you know, uh, your reality which is Christ needs nothing and just
just wants to join with, with others out of that, you know, uh, mutual awareness of abundance. Mm-hmm. And so if you're coming from a place where you don't need anything, then you're in a, a perfect position to receive everything. And yet if you're coming from a place uh, of scarcity, it's like, uh, you know, you'll never have that uh, abundant state of mind, which is what it's really all about. I mean, you could have nothing in the physical world and still be coming from a place of abundance. You know, and if you were coming from a place of abundance, the attitude that you already have everything, then you wouldn't feel scarcity even if you didn't have anything. You know, mm-hmm. that wouldn't matter. Because, you know, you're coming from this place of abundance, and you would feel abundant no matter what happened. You know, so it's like, uh, you know, these guys like Gandhi and all that stuff. He, you know, I think he owned, like, a, a bowl and a, a <laughs> flute or something. <laughs> a flute. <laughs> and uh, Oh, that was Kane, and, Kane from Kung Fu. He had the flute, I think. But Gandhi had the bowl and the robe, yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. And he, it's like he... Uh, you know, he felt abundant because he was coming from a place of abundance. And there are people who I've met, you know, and I know plenty of people here in California who are abundant, but I've met some pretty wealthy people here who are coming from a complete state of scarcity. Hmm. And because of that, they're not happy no matter how much they get. Even with all you they know, have, have they, you know, they still feel they don't have enough or they're, they're not comfortable about it. Right. If you're coming from a scarce uh, state of mind, then you'll never be happy no matter how much you get. Now, of course, it's possible, you know, to have both. It's just that, uh, you know, at some point, it's not about that anymore. It's really all about the way that you're looking at things, uh, rather than at what you have or, or what happens or what's going on on the level of form. Uh, you can choose to look at it in such a way that you could always feel abundant. You could always feel like you have plenty. And in reality, most of us do. I mean, it's not like we're going to starve to death, you know, or something. And... Uh, in America, for the, for the most part, people are very well off, and uh, it's just that, you know, they don't feel that way. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and there's, it's like they're safer than they've ever been, but they don't feel safe. You know, and there are ways, uh, you know, obviously people live longer uh, than they ever have in history, and yet they feel like they're more in danger than they ever have been, and that's not true. You know, it's simply not true. It's all the way that you're looking at it. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, with the Course, you can get into a state of spirit, which is this perfect oneness with God, where you would always feel safe, because in perfect oneness, you can't be attacked. You know, there's nothing there to attack you. So you are coming from a place of safety when you're in spirit. You are coming from a place of abundance when you're in spirit. And it's possible to carry that forward, you know, not just with Thanksgiving and Christmas, but to keep it going all through the year. And so it doesn't matter what time of year it is and uh, it doesn't matter what's going on, you're always going to be coming from that place of, of love and abundance. And uh, that's what a great spiritual path, like the Course or Buddhism or something like that, is directed toward. Uh, it doesn't have to be A Course in Miracles, but I would say that uh, you really do have to have some kind of a thought system. You know, it's like I've talked about how I was, I was depressed for a long time, and how the ESTA training kind of snapped me out of it back right. around oh, 1978 or so. Uh-huh. The reason that was possible was because it was a thought system that I could learn and stick to, and it was consistent, and I could apply it to uh, the things that I was seeing right there in front of my face. You know, whatever came up in my life, I had some kind of a thought system uh, where I could look at it in a consistent way and in a certain way. And uh, it just so happened that it had similarities to A Course in Miracles, the idea of not being a victim, 
you know, and you're responsible for everything. As the Course says, you know, the secret of salvation is about this, that you are doing this to yourself. Mm -hmm. Well, that's because it's coming from you. You know, it's like uh, it's a projection that you made up, and then you forgot that you made it up. And the way to remember is by remembering that it's a projection when you start to react to it. Because if you react to it, that means it's coming at you and you're, you're in a reactionary state of mind. Uh, if it's coming from you and you're responsible, then you can't ever really look at it the same way again. Mm -hmm. And, of course, these things are really emphasized, uh, not only in the next book, but uh, I don't know if people know or not, but I'll have it in my my e-newsletter for December, uh -huh. that uh, I have a new uh, audio CD out with uh, Sounds True. And I don't know if I mentioned that on the I th last show. I think we uh, did. I think we talked about it last time, that you had just it had just been released that very week, I believe, as we did the last show. That's right, that's right. And they have enough copies out now so that people can uh, get it at uh, the Sounds True uh, website. They can also get it at Amazon. Uh, I have to admit, it's actually cheaper at Amazon. Uh -huh. People are looking for the best price. Yeah, I'll bet the Sounds uh, True people are happy to hear you say that, Gare, I'll tell you. Uh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, again, in real proud of me. full disclosure, but, uh, honesty up front, that's the thing. This is a no-guilt podcast. That's right. That's right. You want the cheapest price? Go to Amazon. The hell it's not true. You're doing like Santa did, like Chris Kringle in Miracle on 34th Street. Oh, it's a wonderful thing, but you can get it better over here. Oh, and then, yeah, well, if they care enough, they must be honest, good people, you know? So that's what you're doing for us. That's right. In fact, I just saw uh, Miracle on 34th Street recently, and I, I, from talking to you, I believe that you did too. Right? Yep. Yeah, on Thanksgiving Day. Yeah, which which is today, of course, right? That, <laughs> but just a couple of days. But uh, yes, we watched it on Thanksgiving because, of course, it starts off with the Thanksgiving Macy's Parade. That's how the movie begins. You know, it's a great classic film. Yeah, I like movies where uh, it's about perception. Yeah, it's about the way that somebody's looking at things compared right. to the way that other people are looking at things, and how your whole state of mind uh, is determined by you and the way that you look at it, not so much, you know, what's happening. Mm -hmm. uh, I remember that great movie with Peter Sellers uh, called Being There. Oh, a terrific film, yeah. Yeah, and that was all about perception. Mm -hmm. It was just all about the way people were looking at him. They assumed all of these things about him, you know, that had nothing to do with what he really was. Right, right. And, it, was, uh, it was all projecting it, onto him, and everybody just totally believed their own projection, and he had, he was like a blank slate. Yeah. Yeah, it's really great. I love movies like that. Yeah, that was written by Jer yeah. Jersey Kaczynski. I remember the guy was an author. He, uh, I think he committed suicide. It was a sad tale. He was a troubled man. But he wrote some great books, and that was one of the books he wrote that later became the movie. So uh, plug in for him there. I read a couple of his books. He was a really interesting guy. But uh, that's a, it's yeah, a great... Yeah, he, uh, he did write that book, and uh, he wrote the movie. The movie was an enormous success. Mm-hmm. And uh, from what I could tell from what he was saying at the time, he wasn't really happy with right. the movie. So, well, yeah, he. I don't, know how he, I don't know how he could not be happy with you know a great film. Probably just different like than than what he thought. But Peter Sellers, I think that was Sellers' last film, I believe. Too, we're going to go into a whole film thing here, but uh, that I think that was his last movie, and he was just magnificent in it. He was wonderful. Shirley MacLaine was in that too, I think. Oh yeah, yeah, Shirley was in it, um, and. Uh, I've seen Shirley lurking around uh, Malibu, uh -huh. but uh, I don't think she lives here anymore. I think she bought a place in Santa Fe. Uh -huh. And uh, yeah, but that was Peter Sellers' last movie. And uh, then after he passed away, they put out a movie that he had made earlier, one of those Pink Panther movies. Yeah, he was some outtakes. Right, he was just in and parts of it. Yeah. And unfortunately, that officially that will go down as his last release movie. Right. But. Uh, 
the last movie that he actually made was, uh, you know, being there. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like the Beatles, you know. The, the last <laughs> I was just going to say that. that I said I won't get actually it. made was right. Abbey Road, right? Yeah, but it wasn't released last. Uh, the Let It Be album mm-hmm. came out after that, right? But that was made before Abbey Road. So. Mm-hmm. If you really want to hear the Beatles' last album, that would be Abbey Road. Which is terrific. What a, it's really a masterpiece of pop music. It's great. Yeah, it really is. Uh, it's one of my favorites that uh, they ever did. And, you know, I mean, you can whatever you talk about, it could be movies, it could be music, which both you and I love, you can be grateful for things like that. I mean, uh, I think that what saved my life when I was really depressed was music, because at least it gave me something to look forward to. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like I, I knew that I had a band that I, I might play another gig. You know, I'm not saying I had a lot of them when I was a teenager, but, uh, you know, it's like uh, at least it gave me something to look forward to. I loved to listen to music. Uh, it changed my state of mind, uh, and it still does that. I mean, I can still get high, you know, listening to music. Mm-hmm. And I don't I don't need drugs to do it because I just love music uh, so much. And uh, I'm starting to play some more now. i got to practice guitar. A practice uh, guitar? Practice. Yeah, it's it's fun because, uh, you know, the uh, fingerboard is the same size as a regular electric guitar, but the body is smaller. Uh-huh. And it makes it uh, a lot easier to take on the plane with you or... Ah, what, you what know, is it? Uh, what kind did you get? We might as, well, might as well bore all the non-musicians in our audience with a little, little shop talk here, but what did you get with that? Uh, it's just called the Gibson, you know, practice guitar. Ah, I don't know if I've seen that or not. So just a smaller, but it's a regular full-size scale. Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, and it's fun to have around the house because it doesn't take much room. You just lay it on the couch and forget about it. Right. You know, and then you pick it up and start playing. But you still and, have your uh, vintage Les Paul, don't you? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you, that. You still have your vintage Les Paul guitar. Oh, yeah, my Les Paul custom. I've had that for about 30 years. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's a heavy guitar. It used to kill my back. Mm. You know, because it's much heavier than most guitars. I used to stand up for four hours every night. You know, playing that sucker, but uh, it has a great sound to it, and that's why I stuck with it because you can't beat the sound mm-hmm. of Les Paul. And Les Paul himself, who invented that guitar, is actually still playing in his nineties. He's in, amazing. Uh, New York City is in his nineties. Yeah, that's in, amazing. We should do someday. We'll do a, a musical podcast. Not that we haven't wasted enough time on music on this one, but uh, you know, as you say, a lot. It's funny that a lot of the people who are into the chorus and certainly on our DU Yahoo group, where we always like to say hi, uh, a lot of them are very into music. Some are players, but a, a lot of people, you know, are, are pretty good about quoting different lyrics from the Moody Blues or the Beatles or you know other bands and other writers who really have captured uh, spiritual essences in their in their work. Uh, and it's funny how that works out. I think that, as you said, music can be one of our key inspirations in this life and somehow transcends us into the into the the spirit world to some extent you know yeah i think that uh people who are attracted to uh a course of miracles tend to have an artistic kind of a mind uh they may be actual musicians or writers or painters or or actors or uh whatever it is they do or they may just really love those things mm-hmm. but either way they tend to have more abstract artistic kind of a mind which allows them to grasp uh, spiritual principles. Uh, you could say that uh, people who have the mind of a poet are more likely to really get spirituality. You know, I've mentioned this before, the great poets like uh, Rumi and, right. and Goethe, uh, people like that, they, they're the ones who get spirituality the most. They're the ones who really grasp it. Uh, engineers, scientists, uh, they don't really get spirituality in the same way, I don't think, 
as the poets do, uh, unless they're somebody who has both, uh, right. which is rare. You know, somebody like Einstein, obviously, he had the mind of a scientist, but he also had the mind of a poet, and he was capable of grasping the, uh, these very abstract mm-hmm. kinds of ideas, which led him to be able to express these, you know, incredible uh, versions of, of the universe on a mass scale. It was, uh, you know, really interesting. And uh, that's unusual, though, for somebody to have both. And yeah. uh, it's more the poets and the artists that are really into this kind of spirituality, the non-dualistic, godlike uh, kind of spirituality. Uh, engineers, uh, scientists, they tend to measure things, analyze things, analyze the level of form, uh, calibrate energy in consciousness and things like that. That's more of a scientific approach. But as A Course in Miracles asks its readers, it says, can you find light by analyzing the darkness? And the answer, of course, is no, yet that's what scientists do. That's what's, uh, you know, in fact, uh, Jesus was kind of like chiding Helen, the scribe of the Course, a little bit there, because she was a psychoanalyst. And uh, Jesus is saying, well, you know, can you find light by analyzing the darkness? And the answer is no. Uh, You have to get an answer that is from completely outside of the system, which is what A Course in Miracles does. And uh, that's why it works, because it's it's awakening you to something that is greater, that is completely outside of the whole system entirely. Yeah, I think that, uh, you know, people who are are the more nuts and bolts type, let's just use that term, um, it's great for dealing with the world when the world is what you need to deal with. And if we need buildings and bridges and cars, I mean, we need these things. Somebody has to build the guitars and take the measurements, even with that. But... Our spiritual growth is is almost the opposite of that, and certainly the course is always saying, you know, forget this world. All of these these physical universe things that we think of, they really are in our way. Those are part of the barriers, certainly as much as we believe in them. And uh, to to uh, elevate, to ascend, it's always a matter of letting a lot of that go. As you say, I think I think probably all of us are capable of doing both. But I think it's harder when you're a nuts and bolts person. You have to really work because you believe in that so much. You have to really work to let that go. I think that the more artistic and poetic types just have an easier time of it because you're you're used to dealing with uh, things that are not so nailed down, if you will. Make any sense? Yeah, I think that's true. Well, anyhow, let's uh, let's go to a couple of questions, because I know we've promised questions, and I know that that'll be something that people in the audience will be giving thanks for on this Thanksgiving show. Yeah, the only other thing I want to say okay. about all these things like uh, movies and music is that, you know, you you can be, like, really grateful mm-hmm. for them. And it's like, uh, you know, that, that condition of gratitude is what's important. And the more you get into that way of thinking, the more abundant you are, uh, the better you feel. You know, and, uh, you know, your experience of life and how you feel is determined by the way that you think and, and the attitude that you're coming from. So really, no matter what it is in life that... Uh, you know, that you like and that you're uh, really happy about, you know, gratitude is uh, a great place to be coming from as far as the things that you see there and the projection. Then on top of that, there's a greater gratitude, and that gratitude is the gratitude that you have to God, you know, for for being created with nothing but abundance Mm -hmm. and unlimitedness and things like that. So, uh, you know, when you start thinking along those lines, uh, you know, instead of just saving it for Thanksgiving and Christmas, when you do it all year, uh, it really is a better quality of life, and it's, it's a better place to be coming from. And I think, you know, as you said, too, that you can you can have Thanksgiving, you can have the Christmas spirit, and you can have that at any time and at every time, because it is a state of mind, and there's no reason you can't have that constantly. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And one other thing, too, you mentioned about when you said about music really being something that helped to save you. And, and in my life, it has been the same thing. It's not actually the music itself. It's how the music makes you feel. It's the state of mind that it brings you to that transcendent state. That's the reality. It really that's why somebody might like hard rock. Somebody else might like classical music. It doesn't matter what it is. It only matters where you go with it. And if it transcends you into a higher state of consciousness, that's the truth of the matter, and that's where the gratitude really really can come in. Yeah, I think that's really true, too. Cool. Well, that's good. All right. We'll do more. We could talk about music all, all day, and as we say, it's a very popular topic, and, and no no wonder why, you know, because it really uh, it, it, it touches so many aspects of spirituality. Anyway, this is yeah, one. Yeah, you know what else we okay. should do sometime uh, <laughs> in a future podcast is you and I should each make a list of our, our favorite spiritual movies. Oh, good idea. Because uh, we've done that in past years uh, at the Yahoo group. Right, right. But uh, I think people might like to know what your favorite movies are, spiritual movies, and mm-hmm. what mine are. Yeah. And uh, so maybe just, you know, each give our top ten or something like that. That'd be cool. Sometimes we'll, it'd be, we'll t- be totally independently, so I won't know what you're going to... Like Siskel with. and Ebert, you know, they would not tell each other, and sometimes they would have similar ones. The same one would show up on both lists, but other times not, so we'll do it that way. Okay. Hey, um, maybe, okay. That's, maybe that's something we should do. You know, do like a, I know you and I were both big fans of Siskel and Ebert all those years. We should do like a spiritual movie review program with Gene and Gary. That sounds good to me. I think it would work. Just, yeah. We need a good agent for that kind of thing. Anyway, but that's a good thought. That'd be interesting. And yeah, movies certainly touch people, too. Anyway, we did promise a couple of questions, so let's jump into them. And we're going to do a couple of old ones and a couple of new ones. Try to try to balance our uh, our backlog here as we go. <clears throat> Pardon me while I clear my throat so I can read this one properly. And this is an interesting question from Brenna. And she states, Gary, you stated in one of your books that the ego would manifest one way or another, even if all humans were wiped off the earth. My question is, if plants or fish were the highest form of life, how would forgiveness work? Would Christ be able to get through? Would our consciousness occur in plants or fish? She says, dogs, I love dogs. How does the forgiveness principle work at this level? Does their consciousness follow what we decide on the mind level since they are not capable of the concept of forgiveness? I hope I've made my question clear. That's from Brenna. Well, that's interesting. If there were no humans in form of consciousness, then how would the forgiveness lesson play itself out? Yeah, it's an interesting question now. Uh, you have to remember that, you know, like uh, 93 million years ago, the ego was, you know, showing up in the dream or the projection, if you will, mm-hmm. as things like dinosaurs, you know, but there were still always plants, there were still always, uh, you know, what some people would call lesser forms right. of life, and we, we have to remember that's all made up. Uh, it's like today, uh, people assume that humans think so much more than animals. And yet that whole, you know, idea is being blown out of the water by all these, uh, you know, videos that you can see at YouTube. Right. You know, the fact that animals can think much more than people ever gave them credit for. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just assumed that animals can't think. But, you know, I've seen videos of, like, you know, elephants and lions and, you know, dolphins and dogs and all, all kinds of right. animals. Right. thinks, you know, so much more. Uh, than we ever would have believed a few years ago. And, and there's so much evidence for it now, you know, video evidence mm-hmm. for it. And I think that's really contributing to a whole shift in the way that people uh, think about animals. The truth is that, that animals can think, and uh, they can come from a place of love or from a place of fear. That's the key. 
Like, obviously, there are a lot of lions and tigers in the world that will kill you. Right. But there are also lions, which you've seen in videos, that will come up to you and hug you and throw their arms around you if mm. they know you. Uh, you know, I've even seen a video of a shark where this, this guy saved this shark's life, and now the shark follows him around wherever he goes <laughs> on the water. He's a fisherman. Wow. <laughs> the, the shark follows him around and protects him and plays with him. I mean, it's like... Uh, these are things that you wouldn't think would be possible. You know, uh, a lion or a tiger or a shark or something like that. You wouldn't think of them as being friendly. Now, it's it's more uh, acceptable to people that animals like an elephant, you know, uh, would be, you know, friendly. And it, yeah, not, certainly dogs. Not natural dogs. predators. Yeah. Right. But my dog, I mean, you know, I, I saw intelligent thought in the eyes of that dog mm-hmm. and feelings and, and love and, and fear. You know, and animals, uh, you know, they do have a way of choosing, even if they can't articulate it to us in English. You know, even if their thoughts are a little different than ours. Uh, you know, a dolphin doesn't speak English, but that doesn't mean that a dolphin isn't more intelligent than us. You know, it just means that it doesn't have thumbs to build weapons with. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, and not that it would build weapons if it had thumbs. I'm just saying that, uh, you know, it can't use tools to build a civilization, but it doesn't need a civilization. And uh, that begs the question, what is it that needs those things anyway but a mm-hmm. body? You know, what is it that needs to be famous? What is it that needs to be rich? What, what is it that needs all this stuff? You know, it's really just uh, the idea of being a body. And uh, having swam with dolphins, I, I can tell you that I think that they're beyond that. You know, I mean, uh, the Hawaiians believe that dolphins can read our thoughts uh, and yet uh, there are people who probably think that they're better than dolphins just because they're human. But who said? You know, that's all subjective. It's all made up. Right. You know, so, so it's like uh, the bottom line for me is that animals do make spiritual progress. And they do make spiritual progress uh, based on whether or not they're looking out at things with love or with conflict, fear, whatever you want to call it. And uh, maybe it doesn't work exactly the same way as with humans, but I think that it's always been that way. I think that uh, you know it's possible even for an animal uh, to make that choice between whether or not they're going to uh, look at things, you know, with fear or with love. And sometimes they can be influenced by human beings, certainly by the mm-hmm. way that uh, you know they're brought up. Even sometimes, they, sometimes they're raised by humans. Uh, but I think it's really interesting to note that phenomenon, especially with all the. Uh, you know, video evidence that's coming out lately. Yeah. I think it's clear that animals can think that they can make that choice and that they can make spiritual progress. Maybe it's not the exact same way that humans do it uh, as far as thought patterns are concerned or or language uh, patterns, but there's still that choice available, I think, in any ego, in any manifestation uh, of the ego. It's still possible uh, for that particular, you know, form to make spiritual progress. Do you think that uh, within the illusion of time, which appears to take eons and eons uh, to pass, even though it's not really there, but do you think that it's sort of essential, perhaps, to the atonement process, that uh, that a level of intelligence has to be raised over that period of time to understand more fully the forgiveness principle? In other words, we tend to think we're the smartest things in the universe. That's probably not true. But better than a one-celled animal, we can understand these principles. So do you think a certain amount of that uh, must occur within the apparent evolution of time in order to make forgiveness uh, actually doable and completable? Yeah, I'd say that that's true. And, uh, 
the mind blower, of course, is that it all happened all at once. Right. The time passage isn't real. It's it's all over and done within the same blink. Right. But to and us, it we, seemed... Uh, kind of like live it out in a linear fashion. Right. And, of course, a lot of that is... Uh, you know, just to convince us that it's all real and that there is such a thing as time, and there are such things as numbers and different life forms and, and you know, and all that. Well, the truth is, when all of that is going on, you know, for uh, billions of years, apparently, in the dream, as all of that is going on, all through it, the truth was that there was really only one of us. Mm-hmm. You know, there was just this one ego that thought that it was here. And then that one chose to appear as all these different forms and all these different animals and all these different, uh, you know, rocks and planets and plants and everything that you see or hear of, even at the subatomic level. The reason that it appeared so many different ways was because it was all based on the thought of separation. So it was all symbolic of separation. And none of it was ever true because the separation never occurred, is, you know, as the Course says. So everything that we saw, you know, with the uh, with the mind, we think we were seeing it with the body's eyes. We were actually viewing it with the mind, as the Course teaches. Everything that happened in those billions of years never really happened, but it was all based on the idea of separation, which is what the world is, or the universe. And uh, the only truth is the perfect oneness with God, which is what we eventually, over time, uh, use time, as the Course says, there is a proper use of time, mm-hmm. and that's to use it to practice forgiveness, which gets you home to God. Yeah, I, I always like that. I was going to say that how the Course repeatedly, over and over, refers to the collapsing of time and saving thousands of your years by mastering this one concept. So it really is this this illusion of time that we can literally collapse and and move forward hugely faster if we practice forgiveness. Yeah, and it always comes back to that, which is. Uh, one of the things I love about my teachers, Arden and Purse, is like no matter what we talk about, eventually you'll notice they always bring the subject back around, you know, to that subject of forgiveness right. and how that's the important thing. And, uh, you know, it always will come back to that. And I think as uh, any course student knows, uh, you know, you got to come back to that or else you're not doing the course. You're just using it as uh, you know, kind of like this, you know, intellectual thing. Right. Which uh, may be interesting, but it's not going to get you home. The spinning wheels, you're not actually moving ahead. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Let me go to another question, because there's actually a little bit of a connection between these two, separate questions from two different people, but uh, this comes from Robert. This is another one that uh, we've had for a while, so I'm glad we get to it now. He says, to be brief, my son was reading A Course in Miracles and was progressing well as it appeared to me. At about age 26, he became schizophrenic and suicidal. He has become somewhat stable, but I've not been able to suggest to him to get back to his studies. His spirituality has shut down. I understand that he is safe and whole and complete in God, but I still ponder, and perhaps with all mentally handicapped people, is it just their lot in life, in this illusion, to appear that there is no hope for them, other than my forgiveness for them, and of course myself, to advance their coming home? And that's from Robert. That's an interesting one. It's a little tied in with what we were just saying. How does that apply to someone, then, in a case like that? Yeah, there are people, certainly, uh, whose egos can be too threatened by something like A Course in Miracles. Uh, because this is death to the ego. This is, uh, you know, can be a frightening thing to the ego. Mm-hmm. And in some extreme cases, uh, you know, certainly, you know, people can have very adverse uh, reactions. If they do, I, I would just tell them, hey, you know, put down the books, mm-hmm. 
you know, stay away from it for a while. You know, you don't know if uh, his son is going to go back to the course 10 years, 20 years from now. 26 is pretty young. Yeah. I don't know uh, that he, he was saying it was a result of practicing the course. I didn't kind of get that in the question, just that it may have just happened anyway. Uh, you, you know, sometimes mental illnesses come on even in adult years, even young adults. But uh, in a case like that, how can you reach someone in that kind of a state, or, or can you not? And then is it a matter of your forgiveness practice is, to some extent, working with both, because we're all one? Right. I'd say the first thing is you don't have to reach them with the Course in Miracles. And obviously, uh, you know, he, he's not going to be doing that. And I would, I would say, you know, uh, the point is that you never know what's going to happen 20 years from now. Right. Uh, but the, what is happening right now is what needs to be dealt with, and... I would say, you know, it may be uh, a little bit more traditional methods that you're going to use to deal with that. But, uh, you know, they've done studies that show that the mental state of mind is brought about by the way that you look at things. Now, uh, it's possible to do A Course in Miracles and yet not really do it. In other words, you, uh, you learn some of its principles but you don't really apply it. We've seen uh, Course Miracles teachers who are like that, mm-hmm. you know, who uh, will study the Course, they'll talk about it, you know, they seem to understand it, but they don't do it. And so they end up, uh, you know, attacking other Course teachers, and they end up, uh, you know, doing the opposite almost right. of what the Course is teaching them to do. That, in turn, leads to a different state of mind than what the the course is supposed to lead to. Right. The course is supposed to lead to peace. It's supposed to lead to a lack of conflict. But if you use it uh, to make yourself right and other people wrong, uh, even if it's just in your mind, even in the way that you think, then you're actually doing the opposite of the course. Right. Uh, the only way to get the real results that the course are directed toward is to actually apply it to, to the things that you see uh, in your everyday life. Now, the ego will now, use... Now, <laughs> not knowing the exact details of, of that particular case, uh, I can only say that it, it would seem that the course is not appropriate for that person at this time. They may go back to it someday. And what his father uh, should do is whatever he feels guided to do by the Holy Spirit. Uh, there are several ways of getting in touch with the Holy Spirit that I, you know, explore in my work, uh, whether it's live, you know, in person or on, uh, you know, CDs or, or my new DVD or the books or whatever that gets you better in touch with the Holy Spirit in such a way as to be guided by the Holy Spirit. You know, sometimes people will come up to me and they'll ask me uh, specifically what they should do in a particular situation. And I tell them that my job is to help get them in touch more with the Holy Spirit so that they can be guided by the Holy Spirit themselves as to what they should do. You know, it's like, uh, I don't know everything, but the Holy Spirit does know everything. You know, the Holy Spirit knows everything that ever happened. The Holy Spirit knows what you should do. And what you want to do is uh, take these methods that uh, the Course teaches, that Art and Persa teaches, that I, you know, pass along, and use them in such a way that you yourself can get more in touch with the Holy Spirit and be guided every day by the Holy Spirit as to what you should do. Uh, The Holy Spirit will guide you if you do these things that undo the ego. And... uh, you know, those are the specific things that I've been getting into uh, lately. And uh, the more you become in touch with the Holy Spirit, the more you become in spirit or inspired, as you will, then uh, the more you're going to have these thoughts and intuitions that will tell you exactly what you should do in any particular, you know, situation that's right there in your life and, and right in front of your face. 
because the Holy Spirit does know all the details and, and exactly what should be done. And uh, you can actually be guided with ideas that will come into your mind that will tell you what to do, uh, even in very difficult situations like uh, this one. Yeah. You know, we've mentioned this before about the section in the uh, Manual for Teachers, uh, How is Judgment Relinquished? And I think that's a great one to read about the, read that over and over, because uh, that's the thing. We're, we're always making judgments, and we're either doing it with the ego or with the Holy Spirit. Those are the two options. So it's one or the other. You can't do both, and there's no other choices. So in, in every event, any little judgment or big one, we have to say, who am I making that judgment with? Is it with the ego, and we know what happens there? Or, as you say, turn it over to the Holy Spirit, and you'll actually get the the corrected judgment that can only be made from the Holy Spirit's perspective, where every everything is known, every variable is being accounted for. Right? Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Cool. Okay, well, hopefully, yeah, because that's a difficult question. I guess that applies uh, even to just people who are mentally or developmentally handicapped. If you had a child like that and they're growing up, you go, well, how, how should I deal with this? And again, it's it's go to the Holy Spirit, even if only one of you is is sort of intellectually capable of doing that, then that's all it takes, because you're, you're moving everything along in, in proper order. And you, that's a matter of, I guess, a lot of that's a matter of faith at that point, too. That's right. You want to remember also that uh, minds are joined, mm-hmm. as the Course teaches. And when, you, when you're when you working with someone uh, like that, you can't help but have uh, some kind of an influence on them. It's like you're kind of like pointing them in the right direction, mm-hmm. you know, which is what the Holy Spirit also does. So uh, even though it may not always look like you're getting through to them, you are getting through to them at the level of the mind. Uh, all thoughts have some kind of an effect, and uh, it's the way that you're looking at it. You know, that matters in the way that you're practicing forgiveness. And uh, I'm not saying that you can do somebody else's forgiveness work for them. You can't. But you can certainly be an influence on them and, and point them in the right direction. And, uh, you know, that's really what great masters like Jesus and Buddha did. Uh, they didn't do other people's work for them, but they certainly pointed them in the right direction and set an example for them. And sometimes that's the most powerful thing that you can do for somebody. Mm-hmm. Well, cool. That's good. Let me do one more quick one here, and then we'll wrap it up. I know we're running a little tight on time here. So this is one of the new ones that came in. I just thought I'd throw this in. It's a short question. Interesting one. Hi, Jean and Gary. Uh, This comes from Regine, and uh, she says, I'm a little curious about the other apostles. Does Gary know, through Artin and Persa, if the other apostles are also ascended masters now? She says, by the way, I have your seminar DVD, and I like it a lot, and I recommend it to all the listeners of the podcast. Keep the good work up for both of you. That's from Regine. Well, how about that? Other than uh, Thaddeus and Thomas, what about those other apostles? Yeah, that's an interesting question now. Uh, yes. Uh, yeah, I don't know if we Artin... Know that Thaddeus, we know that Thaddeus and Thomas... Uh, you know, are enlightened and ascended masters outside of time. Mm-hmm. In the uh, overall scheme of things, they appear to have one more lifetime to go <laughs> Right. Uh, in this whole ground of time and space. At the same time, the mind-blower for us is that that lifetime has already happened. Right, all of it. The future is done also. <laughs> right. So, uh, we're, you know, we have a linear experience of things, uh, but, of course, the truth is it's all already happened. Now, uh, because of that, my teachers have told me that it would actually be possible for me to forgive enough in this lifetime so that I would not have to come back and, and kind of like review mentally, as the Course puts it, right. that lifetime that has already gone by. So I, we all have a choice as to uh, choosing the Holy Spirit and thinking with the Holy Spirit enough 
so that we can all, you know, leave and, and be ascended masters after any particular lifetime. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're looking at it in a linear scheme of things, then a couple of the apostles uh, really are already out of here, you know, and ascended masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, and, you know, we talk about the Twelve Disciples because they're the ones who are listed in the Bible. But there are other people there, you know, who are just as important to Jesus as, as the Twelve Disciples who are listed. Uh, in the Bible. For example, Stephen, uh, who was one of the early church leaders, uh, he was enlightened then. You know, he right along at the same time as Jesus. So uh, he's mentioned once or twice in the Bible, not in great detail, but uh, he was spoken of very highly even in the New Testament in, in those few places that were left in about him. They cut a lot of it out because he was, he was too much like the, uh, the version of Jesus that you would get from Thomas and Thaddeus and Mary Magdalene right. and, uh, you know, Philip and, and guys like that. Uh, those were the ones, interestingly, who really uh, got the message of Jesus even back then. And a couple of them, like Philip and uh, Stephen, uh, were actually enlightened in that lifetime along with Jesus. Uh, a couple of others along the way, in between then and now, uh, became enlightened and are out of here. And I don't want to mention names now because I've got to save some surprises for my books every now and then. Uh-huh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's like uh, there are others who are still, you know, here, but they've made, you know, incredible spiritual progress. And I mentioned in my workshops that a lot of us, you know, who are into A Course in Miracles right now, uh, were there 2,000 years ago mm-hmm. with Jesus, even if it was just walking around, you know, following him around from place to place, listening to him, you know, trying to figure out what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> it's like uh, there are a lot of and a lot of them were important to Jesus and knew Jesus, and they're not mentioned in the Scripture. They're not mentioned in the Bible, yet they may have talked to him just as much as uh, some of the disciples did, mm-hmm. you know, who are listed there, because they were following him around in much the same way. So you can't just go by, uh, you know, the Bible, because that's not historically accurate. There, there were certainly a lot of women who paved the way for Jesus from town to town and helped him and made sure he had enough to eat and a place to sleep. And uh, then you have Mary Magdalene, who was practically written out of history, mm. uh, yet she was Jesus' equal. Uh, Arden and Kirscher are very clear, uh, not only in the second book, but in the third book, uh, not just that they were married, but that uh, she was his equal and that she was enlightened. Mm-hmm. in that lifetime. So um, there were a few of them then, a few of them in between, there are still a few that are being enlightened in this lifetime, and this will be their final lifetime. And a lot of that has to do with The Course in Miracles. Uh, the Course uh, is a great spiritual teaching, and Arden and Person said that it's partly responsible for the fact that there are more uh, enlightened beings uh, who either are already enlightened in this lifetime or will be enlightened mm-hmm. in this lifetime because of The Course. So... Uh, you know, for those who want to get into uh, an accelerated, you know, form of spirituality, that, that's certainly where it's at. And uh, a lot of the people who were there 2,000 years ago with Jesus are into the Course now because uh, his teachings can be understood on a much deeper level, you know, because of the Course, and uh, also because of the explanations of teachers like Arden and Persa. And, uh, you know, aside from guys like Philip and Stephen and, and Mary Magdalene, uh, I don't want to give too many specifics about, you know, who else was enlightened or will be in this lifetime, but that'll certainly uh, be coming out more mm-hmm. uh, in the next book and in the book after that.
Well, cool. And I think we should clarify, at least I'm assuming, that when you refer to Stephen in the Bible, you're not talking about the same person we know as Stephen who puts together the spoofs of our podcasts, are you? Hey, you never know. You never. I, I threw that in because I wanted to mention, guess what? He's done it again. I just received from him a third pod, a third podcast spoof where apparently uh, you and I go ride the rails together with a couple of characters from the previous spoofs. And I'll just say it, it ends in a very transcendent episode. That's all I'm going to say for now. I'll be uploading that to the web the same time I upload this program that we're doing here. So by the time anybody hears this, go to forgiveness.tv. There's a links menu up there at the top click on links and then you'll find links to all of the spoof podcasts as well as the bandito and some other things but uh the third spoof will be available so we'll give a little pre-plug for that right now well great send it to me too because oh absolutely i really really like uh, those (laughs) you're gonna like this Uh, one they're they're funny they're done with you know a really good sense of humor can't believe Uh, this guy yeah uh they're not attacking or vicious or anything like no, that. No, it's, it's uh, good natured. You know, for but... example, there was uh, you know this uh, phony interview that was sent around uh, the internet. Oh right, that was, ri- was written out. Though, I was right? supposedly, you know, I was supposedly interviewed by Katie Kirk, <laughs> and uh, you know, I mean, that could have been done in a very funny and bright kind of a way, but instead, uh, it was so over the top in uh, trying to say some pretty vicious. You know, an ugly thing. Yeah, I read that. It was pretty mean-spirited, and it wasn't particularly funny, either. Right. And so, you know, I mean, that's why I admire uh, Stephen Spoose, because they are funny. And, oh, yeah, yeah, and they say a couple of things about me that... Uh, well, you and me both. Be... <laughs> he, he skewers us both pretty equally, I think, on those. <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I mean, he says a couple of things that, you know, may, he might not take as being particularly flattering. <laughs> but at, at the same time, it's funny. It's like a roast, you know, and, you know uh, in that sense. You know, one of those yeah. celebrity roasts where they poke fun at people, but, it, you know, they're they're friends, and it's it's obviously taken that way. So it's very, very funny stuff, though. Yeah, I, I think it's really good, and uh, he's very talented uh, at doing that. Yeah, and it's not the and, kind of work uh, he does, and he's great at it. I'm, I'm, You'll love this one. It's, it's quite a production. <laughs> well, great. I'm looking forward to it. And... Uh, you know, this format seems to be working pretty good. We'll, we'll just keep getting to these, because uh, there's so many questions and answers. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'll just keep getting to them more and more uh, as we go along here. Cool. There's one, one last comment I want to make for you especially, buddy, and it goes a little something like this. Happy anniversary, baby! I just thought I'd throw that in because it turned out it's actually a little belated anniversary. Uh, it was in October of 2006 that we started doing the Gary Renard podcasts. And so we're just over two years now that we've been doing the podcast. It's a two years and, and going on. How do you like that? Well, that's great. That is really great. And uh, I understand this is going to be about the 23rd. This will be episode uh, 23 that we're doing right now. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, uh, you know, with the uh, the new technology that we have, uh, it's going to make it easier to turn these around and turn them over to the public. So uh, we probably will be doing two a month. Yeah, it uh, looks pretty good on. for that lately because, yeah, we've done a couple of uh, technological upgrades here that have enabled us to uh, turn them around more quickly and get them up and out. So, uh, yeah, so even though this one is, is – we're still targeting this as our Thanksgiving podcast. Maybe we could do two more during the month of December. Uh, one of them will be a Christmas show. So that'll sound good. That sounds good to me. Cool. Me too. So we'll we'll wrap it up for now. We'll let you go. I know you uh, you have a deadline, and we've about reached the length of a normal show. So we'll start to wrap things up. And uh, uh, any quick closing thoughts, or have we set it all for the moment? 
Well, I think uh, the bottom line is to be grateful uh, for all that uh, has been given to us and also the fact that we're actually given everything by God. We can't be lacking uh, in wholeness. You can't have anything missing in perfect oneness. And that's the kind of condition that we want to get to uh, through our perception, through forgiveness, through the way that we think and look at things. Uh, We want to get to a point where it doesn't matter what appears to be happening on the level of form so that we can be happy and abundant uh, regardless of what appears to be happening on the level of form. And when you get to that point, uh, then you're invincible because you're, you're no longer dependent on the temporary and you're getting more in touch with the permanent abundance that is there for you. And, uh, of course, it always comes back to forgiveness and there are a couple of other techniques that go along with forgiveness that I get into uh, in my most recent work. And, uh, you know, people can always go to my website, they can always go to your website, and, uh, you know, we'll just keep them coming because, uh, you know, this has uh, been a really good couple of years since these podcasts started. They've gone way beyond uh, what I would have expected. When you first asked me to do a podcast, my attitude was, you know, what the hell's that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, because I, I didn't really know anything about it. And these things go uh, all over the world. And, uh, you know, I hear from people, uh, you know, in many different countries mm-hmm. who listen. And, uh, you know, it's made a lot more people aware of A Course in Miracles and my books and, uh, of course, you also. And it's like, uh, you know, it's turned out to be a very good thing. And, and I'm very grateful to you for coming up with the idea and for producing these things and for making them available to people. I know that I'm just as grateful uh, as the listeners are for you doing that. Well, it makes two of us, so it's a it's a great vehicle for us to work together. You and I were friends before we started doing these things, and like Hillary and Barack, we're friends after. <laughs> no, but if anything else, it gives us the opportunity to uh, to talk on a very regular basis together, which we would do anyway. But it, it it sure is fun. So it's it's a lot of fun, and I I hear that a lot from people that they enjoy our camaraderie and our and our silliness as well as the content that hopefully is always there. And it certainly is in answering all these questions that we do. So that's great. And I you know again, it's a it's a a great gratitude opportunity for the two of us here so uh, i'm just glad to be part of it well thanks buddy uh, so i'm gonna run but uh, you can wrap it up and i'll talk to you soon i will wrap it up and we will talk soon and i just want to remind everybody that the gary renard podcast is produced by enlightened up creations and presented by forgiveness.tv and verbal content of this program is copyright 2008 gary renard and gene bogart for more information about gary and his books and activities dvds cds all the stuff his movies he's got a bunch of things happening go to his website it's GaryRenard.com. And as he mentioned, for information about the two of us and these podcasts, and to check out the links to things like spoof casts, go to forgiveness.tv. You'll find the links right there at the links area. This is Gene Bogart reminding you. Well, actually, first I thank you, don't I? See, I just make this up as I go along. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate it. I really appreciate all the emails that get sent in. I know Gary does as well. So please feel free to keep them coming. In the meantime, the thing we do like to remind you of, especially on our Thanksgiving show, is that no matter what the circumstance or question, forgiveness is always the answer. We'll see you again next time on the next episode of the Gary Renard Podcast. Podcast.